Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. I'm Matt. And I'm Eric. And we have a spy thriller or two to discuss today. Uh, we are going to be looking at the brand new film, uh, Argyle, as mm -hmm. well as uh, a couple of better films uh, from director Matthew Vaughn's right out the gate. Yeah, hopefully you will enjoy it. Uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, I have our Twitter handles going down there. Uh, we also will have the show handle. You know, to try to be better about following all of that. You can also follow the show as well as we blast things out. But first up on the docket today, it's Argyle. Argyle, the uh, the big wide release for this first week in February. And February is shaping up to be a pretty good month for new releases. I was decently excited about this, a combination of Universal and Apple Films. Uh, you know, would this be more Killers of the Flower Moon or more Napoleon uh, from Apple Films that went in? And sadly, it's uh, more Napoleon. Uh, this one coming from Matthew Vaughn, who uh, has done some some cool films like Kick-Ass, The Kingsman, Stardust, X-Men First Class, Layer Cake, a really cool gangster drama with Daniel Craig before he was ever James Bond. Excited about this. You know, you have Henry Cavill, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, Samuel L. Jackson, Brian Cranston, a lot of talent in there. I thought this had a spectacular trailer, too that made me sort of excited about the potential here. I would have been better off just rewatching the trailer uh, than watching this film. I, you know, I'll give some more detailed thoughts after Eric gets to share his, but I'm just going to go ahead and say this was a one thumb down uh, for me. There were some nice moments, but the bad outweighed the good for me on this one, Eric, how, uh, how did it hit you? So we've been talking about how I've been enjoying like every movie, like the Curse of Night Swim. Night kind of upon you. Things. Here's the thing. Contextually, Matthew Vaughn is one of the more talented directors that's out there, especially in a landscape of comic book films. And you said yourself, Daniel Craig, pre-James Bond. A lot of people comment, Layer Cake may have gotten him the role of James Bond. You're talking about a guy who has the DNA of 60s espionage and the, and, and the source of, I mean, you think of, of Magneto in X-Men First Class, which we'll get to. You think of this guy who has spy thriller in his bones and the action aesthetic of, of like the most, one of the most splashy, pleasant visual styles of action that there is who gave an extremely effective, thoughtful critique slash ad advancement of the spy thriller kind of genre in Kingsman, who just seems to have picked up a script that does every cheesy, cliched thing you can imagine in the book and fumbles over that visual style, falling into every trap that he seems to have been able to pick out before. I do not know what happened with this. This is a hard thumbs down for me. And I feel bad because I don't make movies and he's incredibly talented. And I read like, like so much of it. And the cast here, like Henry Cavill as Asian Argyle, Henry Cavill 
is someone who long time people have wanted to see James Bond and has the ability to do these things. And this movie starts with a hilarious over the top, like what you think of um, satirical over the top action scene where he's driving a car over the top of rooftops. Right. And the only I just, downside I, is that was probably the best part of the movie. And that is also, you saw that a million times in the trailer. And it's, it's, it, it's so over the top. It feels like it's parodying what spy thriller novels are like. Well, the jokes on you, according to the movie's logic, that really happened in the universe. Oh yeah, that's true. I have to let some of that go because, well, first, <laughs> first of all, I'm going to say uh, this movie clocks in um, like two hours and 27 minutes, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's at least 30 minutes too long. I think you could have cut, you know, 30, 40 minutes out and had a tighter um, production. There are entire action sequences that served the same purpose. There are too many endings, lumped. too. There are like several Absolutely. times where I think it's ending and it was in service. I don't know if you saw the um, like the, the post credits scene where it's oh, yeah, obvious that they're or trying to make a Kingsman. franchise or something. And I'm like, no, I will. Yeah. And like, what is this supposed to be the real Argyle? Like what? It, I, I, I loved the stinger at the end where you see Henry Cavill's dual role that I don't want to spoil for people who are going to see the thing. But the second stinger of there's a real Argyle or whatever, like, I don't, uh, this, this movie actually has a deus ex machina. Like actually a person writing today thought, yeah, I'll have, I'll have a savior come out of nowhere. Like, because I, I teased it. I set it up a little earlier. It's a character that you spend maybe five seconds of screen time with wasting the talent of an actress that is is academy award nominated she won she won and she won for so, west side story yeah so i'll let you piece which honestly that is. this is the second uh, uh second 2024 film we've seen ariana dubois in where um i don't think they knew how to use her oh my gosh they like guys if like, you if you want some good ariana dubois just go watch wish she's the main I, character in wish i rewatched it recently with my wife when it came out on vod just check that one out i i will give uh sam rockwell and bryce dallas howard and Catherine o'hara credit i i thought they played the roles that were on paper as well as they could i love sam rockwell and i like the sort of his attitude his his irreverence for the whole uh romance of the spy thriller but then he's so sincere in the romance aspects of his life like i i really think that was sold really well i did i liked some of the cheeky cheesy stuff i was okay with some like bryce dallas howard kicking off high heels intentionally on camera after all of the flack that she got for jurassic world and all of that great but I don't know how you realistically put the line, I've bypassed the mainframe in a serious character's mouth who's trying to actually accomplish something in a movie and not scratch that out. The only thing I can think, too, is maybe they were not intending for it to be taken 
seriously because i i mean that would be literally the only explanation for there is a there was, there was a key hint. action sequence yes. with the use of colors and everything yes. else that is beyond but through the cameras but through the cameras one one shot and i thought this was more of an i chalked this up to an editing mistake uh when he is she is holding him up it cuts to the view of the security camera and they're standing like aiming over each other's shoulders. He's not on her shoulders. Yeah. And I was like, for two seconds, I was like, are we watching her romanticized ideal of action that is not actually happening that way? Because that would be a uh, breath that's of fresh the air. Case, though, they they didn't make a clear enough distinction. There no, were and they were going were out of their many... way the whole movie to show you when her perspective crossed like yeah. bl eye blinking constantly from our guy. Well, and that to... should have been past yeah. the point when she was able to get rid of that because you yeah. had a very clear farewell to that plot device and uh Sinar, I will not miss it. Um coming down in the there was just there were too many flips and twists upon twists. I felt like there were a few too many uh, endings. Also, not incredibly surprised about the return of the character that you mentioned because that was one thing that they honestly gave away in the trailer. Oh, they did. They did oh, indeed. I missed that trailer with at, with wow. the, the entire last sequence. So I knew at some point. We were going to see that. Uh, well, you know, there were just a lot of, the, there were too many probably of the repetitive action sequences for me because almost all of the action sequences where they're fighting the amorphous dudes um, were all fairly I, similar. Um, the oil. You, you, you mentioned oh it before God. yourself. The oil. This idea that she's like, wait a minute, are my memories of being an ice skater real? We've never talked about that. We we have spent zero time with this person expressing any interest in coordination in ice skating in anything. When she's being, well, I'm not going to try and spoil the whole thing, but like when she's being mind brainwashed, they use an ice skating trophy. And I thought that that was them trying to implant something fake, but apparently it's selectively choosing real memories of hers. And so she just puts two knives on the ground and stands on them. And it's supposed to be this like empowering moment of like, I'm merging my identities of who I am to be the best of both worlds. And it looks incredible, but it is useless. It means nothing. And, and this irritated the crap out of me. There's like, not barely a drop of blood in the entire movie. Which again, the whole point here is we keep making consequenceless action movies where there was a one guy who like the shot is from behind him. Like he's like this and he goes, oh, like he snaps his head back. Like he just got shot and there's nothing. And then when he falls, you can see a little bit of stain on his shirt. And I'm like, oh, this guy got shot and then snapped his head back. I like I the, the, nobody having is never acting. been shot. I'm not sure. It's true, yeah, fair, but I'm just like <laughs> yeah. I just there was no no consequence to the violence. My it's problem like, yeah. is it started out with you know a 
the beginning of the movie and the first little sequence I actually thought were kind of fun and it got to be less fun the further in you get and the more that they get into what they're trying to do with the plot and I guess that was a little bit of the disappointment for me can you say it one more time sorry I my thing froze up um you know I thought it started out with a little bit of of fun the opening and and the early sequences were fun but as we went further into it it got less and less fun and I think that was yeah somewhat of a disappointment i was on board all the way through the train and i think from that point forward i when when i started to pick up on it it's way, way really predictable um I, one of the things even the movie tries to do that thing where because the characters acknowledge it's stupid you're supposed to think oh they thought of that and then not think it's stupid involving a heart yeah but i'm just like you can't just admit that it's really dumb and then do nothing about yeah, they, that. They, like, stretch, they stretch credulity uh, a few different times. Um, but, well, so neither of us uh, recommending Argyle, and it did no. not uh, do particularly well. I think I saw $16 million for opening weekend, which I would wager that had a pretty hefty budget give, considering the, the star talent, the location shoots, the depth. And obviously you can tell by watching how the film unfolds that they were hoping this was going to kickstart some kind of a franchise, which I'm pretty dubious about now. Yeah, those kind of things had... were going to be tougher post strikes anyway, but you have a flat block box office opening like that. Probably not a great sign. Mm. yeah Some, something had to happen in the production of this afterwards like it's something something had to go wrong somewhere either they kept getting studio notes about how the story needed to play out on screen or something because i just i sort of am in disbelief that either the idea was supposed to be clearer somewhere and we were supposed to do more subjective things from ellie conway's perspective to bryce Dallas howard's something had to be different that didn't come out in execution because of these next movies we're going to talk about. Yep. So we wanted to wrap up looking at a couple of uh, different uh, films that Matthew Vaughn has done. And the first one, we're going to go a little bit further back and look at Stardust. This one was released in 2007. It's based on the Neil Gaiman novel um, has a, again, a heck of a cast a uh, young Charlie Cox pre Daredevil. You have Claire Danes in there. I think that was pre Homeland. Michelle Pfeiffer, Robert De Niro in one of his most eccentric performances probably ever. Uh, if you haven't seen this one, it is streaming on Paramount Plus right now, so you can kind of pop out and uh, check that one out. I remember when I saw this the first time. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun it was different i mean you have a lot of people that pop up ricky gervais has kind of a funny uh cameo role in here you have a ton of different people that pop up uh mark strong you know in that run of kind of clawed bad guys but he's actually kind of a fun bad guy in this one you have magic you have witches you have romance um sienna miller is in this she had been in layer cake with uh matthew vaughn which was one of his movie right before this I don't remember it doing incredibly well, uh, but I just rewatched this actually yesterday and I think it's still fun. It has, 
a massive cult following for a reason. Pretty much everyone I know who gives it a chance ends up thinking that was like way better than I thought it was going to be. Why doesn't this have any attention? And I think the problem is it came out in this era where people couldn't really figure out why Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings were so successful. So they gave Matthew Vaughn his on his second time ever directing, take an entire massive story like book and turn it into one movie for us. Do what they were going to do with Harry Potter and turn like the first four books into one movie. Like, like just do that. And luckily Neil Gaiman is amazing. He's, he's like a, a model for working with people who are adapting his work and like giving them blessings to do their own thing and, and giving like freedom and support. And it is just, it's like a blast. It's, 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 I love every actor, every performance in that and every tone shift. Even with what you said about condensing like a Harry Potter universe, still shorter than Argyle. Yeah. Like, and, and it's still, like, and even though it spans like so much content and time, it's effective and it's, it's smooth paced. It does so many different types of fantasy that like you, you might get put off cause you're like, Oh, this is supposed to be like wizards and fa high fantasy and that kind of thing. And it's like, it, it is, but I guarantee you're going to be entertained by some part of it. Stardust is fantastic. Well, in between uh, Stardust and the next movie we're going to talk about, he did um, Matthew Vaughn directed the first Kick-Ass. It is actually not streaming anywhere right now, which is kind of interesting. I know, bummer for Eric. That's why you buy physical media, I guess. Yep. But that Kick-Ass is like a key thing. He, he was working uh, – this Scott Pilgrim – and a couple of other projects have this thing where Kick-Ass was not done being put out as a comic series when they started writing this. So the endings of the story and the comics in this are different because they wrote ahead of what was happening in the graphic novels. And there's a key thing about the aesthetic here in this movie where Matthew Vaughn's style, I think, shows up for the first time. Because of an artistic choice by... Miller, Mark, I don't, I don't remember specifically um, that those comics have no black in them. They, even the darkest part of it is some like off brown color. They intentionally, there is no part piece of it that isn't like a line when you're outlining things that's in black. But like there was a, a particular aesthetic choice that they had to translate color wise, thinking about it as a comic that is trying to be designed to not have black which is impossible on film yeah, you're right. you have mark, shadow mark millar and john romita jr yes that team uh, who are incredible even though some of their stuff is not like i don't i can't stomach it i'm not i'm not a fan of everything um yeah that that combination i really think matthew vaughn came into his own i have mixed feelings on kick-ass because i love all the performances but i feel like the narrative of how exciting it is for a person to dress up in the real world and be a superhero gets completely sidelined by an over-the-top, out-of-this-world storyline of Hit Girl, where someone is doing something that's just completely impossible and it's not about the real world anymore. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. I don't want to kick him while, while he's down. Um, that's, <laughs> actually, that's actually my least favorite Matthew Vaughn film, and it's not close. Oh, still? Oh, still. Oh, snap. Okay. And I've seen uh, The King's Man also, and I would still oh. drop cast below it. But from those lows, he does in 2011 
uh, got a chance to take over the X-Men franchise with X-Men First Class, which is kind of prequel, takes things back to the 60s. We got James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, and a very blue Jennifer Lawrence in this one. And if you followed my superhero countdown uh, last year, you would know that this is one of my favorite superhero films of all time and is actually in my top 25 favorite films of all time. I love this movie. Uh, I love the performances. I love the deeper thoughts behind it. There is, uh, I really love the exploration of Charles Xavier and Eric Lencher uh, as, as characters, as friends. They're back and forth. They're dueling ideology based on their, their backgrounds. And they see the same problem, but they see it very differently. And, all the ways that that comes together, you get a, a really nice Rose Byrne performance in there. I actually like her character. I thought she was missing from some of the other prequels. I like it when she bounces back in there. The three of them were actually a much more interesting team to me than, than even Jennifer Lawrence's character. I don't have a problem with it, but is not the most interesting part of this movie for me. But this is a movie that I... I love to pieces. It's by far my favorite X-Men movie. It's in my top five superhero movies, period. And as I said, in my top 25 movies, period, I've only given, I think, 36 things out of almost 8,300 five stars on Letterboxd. This is one of them. Hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to take a step down from that. Like, it's not, I don't know. Okay. I, 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 I didn't reciprocate your kick-ass love, so. <laughs> oh, okay. No, see, I I love first class. I got I got to say, the important thing that really frustrates me is is uh, Matthew Vaughn really, really, really understood the characters and the aesthetic of this comic, and he was able to take it completely away from modern day and from the ideas that people had, and to set it as a period piece and to do what he did with it was outstanding. And then it it seems like this is boiling a lot of complicated things down. But he was originally going to be on board for the next movie, which was supposed to be. And he did write the script, actually, for Days of Future Past. Something's happening. Hang on. Okay. He did. Yeah. Uh, but he they he, he started to help work on Days of Future Past, but he disagreed with the choice of having Days of Future Past be next. He, he was like, you need to spend more time with these characters so you can them so when you bring back the other characters it's more meaningful and there was a divide in creative interests and he left and for on the one hand that's why we have kingsman and that series and i i wish we could have gotten more of his ideas for x-men i love his understanding of those characters and his aesthetic for the world and i would have loved to see what he was going to do with it so Are you telling me there, he wouldn't have created Dark Phoenix? <laughs> Ew. Um, so I I do have problems uh, with the movie, but they mostly come from a background of me being a huge dork. Um, like the way at the end, uh, immediately Xavier is suddenly paralyzed. Like... I was like, oh, okay, so that happened in that instance. Like they, they, the ideological divide where they are no longer friends anymore, I felt like happened too quickly. Like he only had one movie to do it, but it doesn't mean it wasn't accurate, like to what it they were. So, 
I don't even know. feel like they're necessarily not not. Oh, friends. the way the movies Just went afterwards, they were still connected. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's the part probably that I've always uh, that and Wolverine that I've always enjoyed about X Men is the back and forth between Charles and Eric, and that's probably what I liked. You know, you see the the foundations of that friendship because it would be easy to dismiss. I think, especially in other and later X-Men things, you know, why are they such good friends, even though they seem to be philosophically opposed and you see them even from the moment they form that friendship being kind of philosophically opposed. That's my favorite scene is when they're playing chess and he says, killing will not bring you peace. And, Eric's response is peace was never an option. And you can see that while they respect each other and while they see the, they see the same problem, they don't see the world the same way. And this one highlights a little bit of that being in some ways, the way that they were brought up. And that was probably the only device uh, where you, I really got into Jennifer Lawrence's character in there because she challenges um, Charles and the way he sees the world because of the way he was some of the privilege of how he was brought up. That's yeah. That's the, the so the, originally that project, what first class turned into was going to be X-Men origins Magneto. And that's why there's so much meat of his character and his journey of revenge on his parents left in the script. But I feel like Matthew Vaughn jumped on and was like, nope, I'm going to make it Xavier and Magneto. And then everything else with that. And I don't know. He just nailed it. I, it's... Well, you referenced our, what we'll move on to is in 2014, his next project was uh, Kingsman, the Secret Service, which kicks off a what's now a trio of films i won't call them a trilogy because one i think is actually meant to be a prequel in the king's man and you know what if you're not going to watch all three of them you should definitely skip the king's man um you know but if it's between that and kick-ass i'm still taking the king's man (laughs) (laughs) all three uh i forgot to mention x-men first class you can check out is streaming on hulu all these are available to purchase on voodoo as well uh the kingsman all three Kingsman films um, are streaming on Max, uh, so you can go mm. check those out. I, you know, that first trailer for the Kingsman, I wasn't sure what to make of it. I was not familiar with the source material that I think you're referencing. Oh, me either. I still haven't um, read the the comics for them. But I really enjoyed uh, Taron Egerton, Colin Firth, the cast here. The first one really gets me into it i thought the second one was okay more of an action film i enjoyed it for what it is but that first kingsman film uh kind of the origins building up the world mark strong who you know he had seen in stardust he does like to bring some of these same actors back time and again and that's not a bad thing uh i really enjoyed kingsman the secret service i I know you have talked about that a little bit subverting some of the expectations of the genre and doing some fun things what did you enjoy about the movie? Everything. I it is it is like with a precision that is absent from Argyle pointing out when things need to be over the top, when they are over the top in a good way that's like just enough and when things should be toned down and taken more seriously. And then he just he had his aesthetic for action sequences 
down. And that that sequence in the church, I think, is iconic for a reason. And there, it just... It is so weird to see something that's so familiar and have it feel that fresh and unexpected and not being 100% sure where things are going with it. I love Samuel L. Jackson getting to be more character actory. I love that that performance from him. Um, I, I just like... They take all of the, the tropes and things you expect. Like Sophia Butella is the henchman with a weird thing, like Odd Job or like any other James Bond sidekick villain. And they just they t- they take what works about those element, pick out what doesn't work and make it extreme. Like some people get really upset about the stinger at the end with the saving the princess. And it's like it is so perfect to me to point out the trope of like, well, the man has won her her affections because he saved her life, even though this is probably the most distressing thing that happened to her. So they could have been very deadpan about it and had the princess just be like no, why would I want to kiss you? I just almost died. And instead crank it the opposite direction to point out how ridiculous it is. I just think it had it had just enough satire that, again, talk about death being a consequence. Just pulling it to be R-rated and then very early having like everyone is in training, but somebody died training to become what they become. Like, it is, it's, it's everything to the point that it makes me very, very confused and upset even more the more I think about it. How someone can take something like Argyle and make this out of it. Something had to happen. I'm just going to keep repeating that. Well, maybe it, yeah. maybe it popped differently on the page or they had different expectations. It'll be interesting. Matthew Vaughn has three uh, projects that are listed as being in production right now. Two of them are additional Kingsman uh, films. Uh, I can't tell if they are um, sequels oh, just, or prequels or spinoffs. Uh, but, you know, we'll see a return to that world. I doubt we're going to see a lot more Argyle, but um, he has a great catalog of films. He is a rare director. I was just looking. I have seen every single one of the feature films that he has directed there. Um, I think we've we've now mentioned them all. The three Kingsman uh, world films, Argyle, X-Men First Class, Kick-Ass, Stardust, and Layer Cake are his films. And I don't, mm. you know, I don't think there's a dreadful film in the group. There's ones I... No. There's a couple I, I not even enjoy. Argyle. Yeah. Uh, but, like, it's funny because if you watch them, you can actually see his career play out. There was that awesome uh, interview that he did with Chris, Chris Stuckman for his podcast or whatever that um, I posted on Twitter. But... But more than that, like, so like Layer Cake was a product of he used to work with Guy Ritchie a lot. And mm. Layer Cake often gets confused for being a Guy Ritchie movie. And like, there's like a thing there. And then with Stardust, it's like a studio told him what to do. And it is the most different thing out of everything he did. And he kind of like got through by the skin of his teeth. And then he got to have way more creative control. And all of a sudden he has his own style with kick-ass. He brings that own style and flavor into something that was pre-written with X-Men. And then by the time he gets to Kingsman, he's like fully 100% himself and has total control. And I, I'm, I'm still so excited for the next thing that he does. He has like a, a, a good sense for what works about visual storytelling and appreciating like comic art and for as a medium of visual storytelling, I feel like he sees potential in that and translates it 
well. So anytime I see that his name is going to be on something, I'm I'm going to be in line for it. But oh my gosh, I am going to be watching carefully who's writing his movies because whoa. Yeah, and I don't I don't think he had a he doesn't have a screenplay credit for Argyle. Maybe that's part of the problem because he does have a screenplay credit for Stardust, for Kick Ass, for X-Men First Class, for all the Kingsman films. So whether he was the original writer or an adaptive writer, and a couple of those he did with his yeah, with Jane Goldman, who helped write Stardust, helped write on um, X-Men First Class and some of the other ones. So maybe that's uh, you know, and maybe that is an area where it could have gotten tightened up with Argyle. I don't know. I had high hopes. Doesn't quite pan out. I doubt we're going to see a franchise. Uh, but let me ask you this. If they do go forward and make another entry in this franchise, any optimism for it? Not even a little bit. Because yeah. they showed that they don't know how to in handle fact, the I audibly groaned when yeah. I saw that stinger and it said book one. And I was like, Okay. Yeah, the suggestion there is that it would be a an adaptation of the fictional first book. Yeah. I, I don't want to live in the world where they're just like embracing the generic spy aspects. That was like the worst stuff in the movie to me. Like that, I... <laughs> and that's what Henry Cavill was quoted as saying, you know, we'll get more if, depends on if the audience likes what we're doing. We did not, Henry, I'm sorry. You know, Love you, Henry Cavill. You deserve, sorry, you deserve better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you deserve better. Everyone, uh, Matthew Vaughn <laughs> does. Everyone deserves better. Well, that'll do it for us uh, this week. Uh, you can give us a follow on Twitter. I'm at Nighthawk seven seven three four. Eric is at High Contrast FLM. Uh, we will be off next week because there is a tiny world event, something like a Super Bowl. I've heard there's some kind of movie trailer today. <laughs> Yes. We'll be back in two weeks. There are a couple of uh, huge films coming out in February. We will definitely probably be talking about some of the trailers we saw during the Super Bowl and got excited about. But we will also be looking at two female-centric films that are dropping here in the heart of February. Uh, Lisa Frankenstein. Uh, from Diablo Cody and Madam Web, uh, which is trying to give us some hope for a Spider-Man universe film without Spider-Man. Oh, you don't have any hope? I was actually thinking there was a chance. All right. Well, we'll see how we end up. Little tease. If they had committed to this universe being the amazing Spider-Man universe, I might have cared. But all that drama coming out behind the scenes about how they've intentionally carved that out of the movie... And how this is like the Ben Parker for Tom Holland? What? Like, I, it's so exhausting to try to like get into caring. Like, maybe my expectations are so low that it is going to surprise me, and I'm going to have a lot of fun. Well, but coming out on Valentine's Day, maybe it's a maybe it's a romance film. Maybe we'll get like a Jamie Dornan cameo just for all those uh, Fifty Shades fans out there. And I've lost Eric completely. Well, I hope you guys have a wonderful couple of weeks. Uh, I hope you enjoy uh, the Super Bowl, or as Eric calls it, National Movie Trailer Day. And uh, enjoy the snacks. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Until then, we will see you guys at...